everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, a resource designed to form substantive disciples for the local church. My name is Ashlyn Lee, and I'm the communications coordinator at High Point. It's a little weird to be introducing myself on an episode about myself, but Nick went fishing, so you're left with me. Whenever we have new staff members come on, we like them to share their testimony on the podcast. And I just started back in June, so it's my turn. Nick and I will be discussing my testimony and how I came to Christ. So I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to this podcast. Um, We're going to be interviewing Ashlyn Lee, who is our communications director, coordinator, coordinator coordinator right now. Yeah, we have to have something to promote you to. So, um, and so we try to do these episodes when we have new staff members, which is like a testimony episode where they talk about how they came to faith, how their faith in Jesus has developed, how that's developed them and so on. And so you can hear a little bit of their story personally and background. And so, so you feel like you know them a little bit more than maybe you do if you haven't got a chance to talk with them. So welcome, Ashlyn. Thank you. We're so excited to have you on staff. Yeah, it's been fun so far. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, All right. So um, why don't you give us like the sort of pre-Jesus background? Yeah. So uh, I was born and raised in a suburb in Maryland, so I am not a Wisconsin native. Um, but uh, something that surprises people sometimes is that I wasn't raised Christian and I had no in-depth exposure to religion growing up. Uh, I mainly identified as agnostic, aka I didn't really think about it. I didn't think about it to the point that for a long time, I thought I was atheist because <laughs> okay. I didn't know agnostic existed. So so I, when I actually like Googled it, I realized, oh, I'm just agnostic. Yeah. <laughs> and like atheist is an actual hatred of God and like against God. And so, yeah, um, there, I mean, and also, there, atheists yeah. are always trying to come up with clever definitions for atheism. Mm-hmm. I find no reason to believe in God, which mm-hmm. is a form of, right? But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought there might be a higher power. So, um, as a child, I prayed to some vague unknown God, um, occasionally for very material and worldly things like a child tends to do. Um, but you, you didn't get that from your parents. No. Um, you just like came with Southern culture or something. Yeah. I wouldn't say Maryland Southern, (laughs) at least where I lived. I don't think it's very Southern, but so like a vague moralistic deistic american god yeah. or something mm-hmm. okay yeah like wanting toys and other things i don't yeah. know <laughs> hey, why um, not give it a shot right mm-hmm. if you're an agnostic right yeah in college i lean towards thinking that religion causes people to do bad things just because of what i was seeing in the news about um you know terrorist things and yeah so yeah yeah but that was pretty much the extent of that's also kind of the convenient line of thought in college for Mm -hmm. a lot of students Mm -hmm. is like well religion because sometimes people will fight with the question of whether or not religion is true Mm -hmm. is christianity true is jesus real Mm -hmm. but it's easier to just be like well if i can say it's wicked then i don't even have to yeah fool with any of that it's Mm -hmm. just it's bad for the world and for so how could it be good and yeah and christian god's supposed to be good so Mm -hmm. i get two for one it's bad and it's wrong yeah Um, so then I moved to Madison, uh, after college to work for Epic. Um, and that is, and you majored in bio something. Yeah. Bioengineering Bioengineering. um, at the university of Maryland. So you clone stuff basically. Uh, yeah, (laughs) that's part of it, but (laughs) not really. Um, it's a very, it's a very wide field, but, um, so like, no, cause people want to know about you, not just, just your faith journey. So like, Mm -hmm. 
what did you what kind of stuff did you study yeah so i studied bioengineering and it's everything from like biology well biology a lot of biology a lot of chemistry um some math i think the most interesting courses were obviously near the i feel like your most interesting courses are near the end of your in undergrad i think that's true Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there was stuff like biomechanics and bioimaging and um to be quite honest i don't think it was quite for me (laughs) (laughs) which is why i'm doing communications right now (laughs) yeah Um, i saw on your resume when you hear it was like there's all that and then you're like and i was in acting in high school Mm -hmm. and it was fun yeah so Um, i did do a lot of like theater in college um i ran like a theater group and i did um a lot of volunteer service through um like a pre-med organization i thought i wanted to go to medical school and then yeah yeah and you were a little bit of a gym rat with volleyball yes i played volleyball yeah. I still play volleyball. So I, I'm going to take for for high point listeners just a moment of personal privilege. Um, you may notice as I interview all these people that they all have science degrees. So John Sakatowski is trained as an engineer. Mm-hmm. Nicole is trained as a mathematician. Ashlyn, our communications director, is trained as a bio technical engineer or bio, in biotechnic. And uh, this is a bias of mine as a hirer. I love people who are trained in hard fields. And where they are not encouraged to be uncontrolledly emotional about stuff and they see problems and they try to solve them. And I just really love hiring people from such fields. And it's brought, I think it's brought a lot of health to High Point and it's been really good. There's, of course, there's other ways to do it, but this is one of my biases you may see throughout these hirings and um, it's real. Mm -hmm. So anyway, okay, sorry. So you did that and Mm -hmm. then you got out of college. You came to Madison to work for Epic. Yep. And... You worked there for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked for there for a little more than one and a half years before coming here. Um, it felt like I just needed that change. Well, okay, there's been a lot of things that God's been. Did working you know in my anybody life here, or did you just come like the jobs yeah, there? No. I'm just going to move to this job, and I don't know anybody. Yeah, in college, so senior year in the fall, um, I got the offer from Epic. Like it was like the first job I applied to and like the first one I heard back from. And so I was like, okay, I have a job and it's outside of Maryland. Cause I really wanted to leave Maryland. Cause I grew up there, went to school there. So I wanted to get out. Um, and I was like, okay, this is getting out, <laughs> even though yeah. it's in uh, Wisconsin where I've literally never been. I know nobody in Wisconsin. I have no family around. I have one friend before coming here. I had one friend in Chicago and I was okay. like, oh, I can visit you and stuff like that. Oh, uh, no, it hasn't yeah. really happened much. <laughs> well, you know, Mad- Madison, Wisconsin is a huge destination state. Everybody wants to get here. <laughs> yeah. you know, people move in from Texas all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah. So I didn't know anybody coming here and, um, I worked in Arizona for a summer in college and that is how I found or how I found friends was volleyball. So I figured let's just try that again here. (laughs) Um, So I asked someone at Epic for some open gyms and uh, I went to Blackhawk first for one of their open gyms and that's where I met Nellie and she, mm-hmm. I was attracted to her because she was like one of the only females there. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a ton of females that yeah, play volleyball. Yeah, like four or five, right? <laughs> uh, I think at that point, probably like there is maybe one other female. So, her. or no. there are three total. Uh, three total. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I've played at that open gym and it's for those listening, a fairly high level of volleyball, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. And, um, like there are some people that can hurt you <laughs> if you don't know how to do stuff properly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so women don't, there's not a lot of women that are do that. Mm-hmm. And, but Nellie did and you did. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I know Sarah Monson has played mm-hmm. some crazy, crazy women. Yeah. 
<laughs> or crazy good at volleyball. Yes. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So I talked to Nellie a bit and she invited me to play at High Point Volleyball on Tuesday nights, which she she prefaced like much lower, lower level. level. <laughs> but um, it's more of a it's, social event. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I actually really appreciate it for, because I think I get to at least currently um, I get to connect with people that I don't normally see or like mm-hmm. it's just a nice place to play volleyball but also talk to people and like yeah well you get to make friends with people who clearly are not volleyball players yeah Mm -hmm. it opens up the eligibility a little bit yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um and yeah so the first time i went to high point for volleyball was the first time i prayed in a group um or there was i will say there was prayer in the group (laughs) because i didn't know what i was doing um i was very confused and i was like what is this is this a cult (laughs) and um it's amazing how when you're not religious yeah any prayer can be like this is a cult yeah this is what's happening i've never mm -hmm. it feels very odd yeah it was very odd so um luckily though uh i met femi there and he is one of the elders here at high point and um we connected really quickly because he went to the university of Maryland and he studied bioengineering. Mm -hmm. So he graduated and then I started the following year. So we just missed each other. Oh, okay. But he, yeah, I think he might've been wearing something Maryland or he asked me like, sometimes maybe I was wearing something. He is not ashamed of his Maryland. Exactly. Yeah. And he went to Duke. So (laughs) (laughs) he also went to Duke for his master's. So, um, yeah, but, um, he doesn't like Femi isn't, he's not the sort of person that makes sure you know that. Mm hmm. Because you wouldn't be like, oh, here's this very accomplished young man who yeah. has gone to Maryland and Duke. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of like, hey, I'm holding the door for you. You know, hey, it's time for volleyball. Hey, I'm Femi, F-E-M-I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Femi uh, just invited me to get coffee um, to talk about how Maryland's been uh, since he left and just kind of, yeah, talking about that stuff. But that was the avenue for... Um, for me to ask about, for instance, this praying in a group and like what what happened at volleyball, <laughs> like, yeah. um, and that was a really good space for me to ask, start asking questions about his faith. And he is very open about talking about it, and he's like really good at explaining stuff. And mm-hmm. I had, I think, I asked straight up questions about like abortion and homosexuality and like all these things that I, like, I would say I still have a passion for, but like as, as, as I would like self-identify as like a liberal growing up in Maryland, you know, yeah. um, those are social issues that like me and my friends really care about. And so I wanted to just be straight up and ask about that stuff, but yeah. he is very good at addressing those things and explaining those fully. And yeah, so that was really cool. Um, and Femi was, um, the person that basically discipled me through the gospels. Um, and that was really, really good. What do you mean by discipled you through the Gospels? Did you like yeah. literally sit and read them? So I bought a Bible and he suggested that I start with the Gospels or okay. with the New Testament. Or, yeah. yeah. And so I would read it and have tons of questions and sticky notes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'd meet up for coffee and then um, just go through each of my questions and stuff like that. And he's so smart and has so much like historical knowledge and stuff like that. So yeah. it was really cool for me to hear that and just really get a deeper sense of what is going on in the bible because mm-hmm. there's a lot of like archaic language that i haven't read before you know right and right so even was, in the modern mm-hmm. translations yeah there's mm-hmm. just stuff even some stuff there's just not really a modern word for because mm-hmm. the, the category hardly exists in our modern language yeah mm-hmm. it can be tough even the gospels which are pretty simple in the sense that they're like direct narratives of jesus's actions yeah but it, also you don't 
you don't realize when you first read it how much Old Testament meaning is in them. Mm-hmm. And it just breathes this Old Testament air and you have don't know the Old Testament. Like, who knows mm-hmm. what that means? Mm-hmm. Like, what's a Pharisee? You know, and just basic I, historical notions are just assumed. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a whole education. I, one of the things, I, this is a good time to make this point. Um, it's really important when you talk about Jesus with other people that you remember what it was like when you didn't know what any of the terms meant. Because obviously you can already hear the Ashlands of intelligent young woman. And yet she just didn't know this stuff. She knows lots of stuff, but she didn't necessarily know that the Saul of the first chapters of Acts is Paul. And then Mm -hmm. second half, she didn't necessarily know what a Pharisee was and what's the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee or what the festival of booths is like, why would she? Right. And so you've got to remember that people get really frustrated with you when you, you think they know stuff they don't, that they shouldn't know. And then you make them feel, they end up feeling like you think they're stupid because they don't know the thing you studied already. And so you want to like not treat them like they're dumb and all the stuff they do know, but recognize the minute you switch into biblical knowledge or Christian knowledge, it's very likely they have no exposure. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's hard because like when you're sharing your faith, you assume they know a lot about the cultural kind of stuff you're talking about and that they're not stupid in terms of like just thinking. But the minute you cross that line into Christian knowledge, you got to realize you might have to go all the way back to 101 and explain just what the terms mean. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of Christians don't do that. Do you think that's true? Yeah. And I think that's a practice of grace too for, for that person. And still for me, like I, in my small group on Monday, I was like, um, the Holy Spirit is person, right? Like I just needed that confirmation check. Like I think I knew it, but I wanted to confirm. The Holy Spirit is not just like an emanation. Like (laughs) it's a, he has a consciousness. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, yes. Yeah. Yeah, That's right. So that was something I had to like ask and clarify in small group. But, and at first I was afraid to ask it because I was like, oh, people probably think I already know this, but, but I, I need to remember. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing though. There's some people who've been Christians for years and years and years and refer to the Holy Spirit as it, Mm -hmm. which I understand like some people don't want to give the Holy Spirit an, a gender, mm-hmm. which is actually fairly accurate probably. But the reason we say he is because the recognizing the Holy Spirit as a person and not an emanation or a non-person is more important than remembering that the Holy Spirit doesn't probably actually have a gender. Mm-hmm. Anyway, So yeah, but it's amazing. I've, I know people who have, my mentor actually in seminary, he, he mentored under John Stott in England and, um, he referred to the Holy Spirit as it after seminary. And John Stott said nothing and then clarified in the church without reference to my mentor. Just, we always refer to the, for the Holy Spirit as he and not it because the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, the person of God himself. Anyway, so anyway, easily. I enjoy your English accent. All right. So you <laughs> talked with Femi in coffee shops, read the gospels, mm-hmm. etc. And another really important thing about that was I think in our first or second meeting, he was like, he made it very explicit to me. uh, This is discipleship and I have no romantic interest in you and just want to be on the same page about that. And that was really important for me because also during this time I, because I play sports, I've just making, I was just making a ton of friends with guys and hanging out in groups of guys. And I never felt uncomfortable in those situations, but I think that, with this sort of one-on-one interaction, it was really, and it was a cross-gender discipleship. It was really important that he did that for me. Yeah. Um, and it Otherwise, made me so comfortable. Like, yeah. If you go to something, the guy's like, hey, let's go to coffee. Mm-hmm. It would not be weird to think that 
it was for romantic interest reasons. Mm-hmm. Did did he manage to pull it off in a way that wasn't weird then? Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. Cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, then what? Yeah, and then, yeah, so the other thing I wanted to talk about was just that I had a friend from volleyball, Jeff Burge, who was the actually the first person that brought me to church. Uh, he gave me rides even though it was out of the way for him. And this was really important for a number of reasons. It was another space for me to ask questions because Jeff is really smart as well. Um, and so if I had questions, I felt comfortable asking them in this more like private space. And then um, I... It was also really important, especially the first time I went to church, because I was terrified. <laughs> I had this irrational fear that people thought that, or people knew that I wasn't Christian and that mm-hmm. they were judging me for it. And I knew it was irrational because, of course, who's going to know and who's going to look at you and, and care or whatever, you know. Um, so I had this irrational fear, so I was terrified. So it was really nice to have someone with me. <laughs> and then also it was the first Sunday of the month, so we took communion or I didn't take communion but, but so there, the was communion. there was communion right. yes and I was like what's going on <laughs> and Jeff explained to me like you take this if you believe if you don't believe don't take it and so I was like okay I'm, I'm not going to take it and it there was several months of going to church and not taking communion but um okay Ashlyn can you give us any more about how you felt because like mm-hmm. this is good for all the christians listening like what does it feel like for a perfectly rational normal person who's coming into church met has met a few christians that aren't don't appear to be crazy mm-hmm. has even gone through some spiritual seeking already mm-hmm. but you come to church and you really do feel like gosh what's yeah. gonna happen mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's a new place you think it might be a cult um, right. even though I've, I think I had been there by that point to play volleyball, uh-huh. that's through like the back gym and like, I hadn't really gone for the full Sunday morning experience, you know? And, mm. and yeah, it's, yeah, I, I was scared. <laughs> I, I know that we have, I don't think the welcome center was up yet either at that point, but, okay. um, yeah, I don't, yeah. I just remember being really scared and not, and like just going with the flow of things, and sitting in the pews and just like, okay, we're singing now. Okay, uh, I guess I'll sing. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, like, okay, we're, we're going to listen to a message now. Okay, like, and yeah. Um, I don't know that fear is the response everybody has, but because I had never really been to church before and this was so new for me. Was it, was yeah. it kind of like a nameless anxiety? You really didn't know what you were afraid of. You just did yeah. not feel comfortable. Or was there a thing you feared? I think it was the fear. It felt like I was going to be exposed or something like okay. that, you know, and I didn't want people questioning me. Because <laughs> the things all felt kind of insider. People mm-hmm. seemed to know each other when you walked yeah. in. Mm-hmm. The song, you jumped into like this sing-along mm-hmm. that was clearly theological, mm-hmm. like you believed all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it was clearly a place where people who believe all this stuff go. Yeah. And I was like, why do people come here? <laughs> and, you know, what... Like, I, I guess I was also surprised that just like, because I hadn't, I didn't know anybody that went to church regularly back at home. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that there were so many people going to church on a Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And that not only here, but there's tons of churches in Madison. And like, actually, when I went back home, as we were like, uh, as we were driving with my parents or something, I was like, oh, there's a church there. There's a church there. Right. There's a church there. <laughs> like, and it's so weird that I didn't notice that before. And 
lots of people do this. And I'm like, why do people do this? <laughs> um, so you didn't feel, so the fact that, okay, so people can't see you, mm-hmm. your last name's Lee, you're mm-hmm. Asian of racial descent, right? Yeah. Did that, that didn't factor in at all? Cause I mean, you'd already hung out with a big Nigerian dude. True. You were brought to church <laughs> by another Asian guy. Mm-hmm. Like, did that make it all, or did you feel? Well, part of it is that. you probably went to a college that was. Yeah. Well, in college, it was pretty diverse. I lived with a pretty diverse group of people. Um, I think that it had to do, I think I wasn't so afraid of that because I was already so used to it because I had been living in Wisconsin for like five months, four or five okay. months at that point. And I was like, Wisconsin's white. It's just a white state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's okay. just a white state. Like I see. Yeah. But I do notice sometimes like at volleyball, I once made the comment like, I'm the only Asian female here. <laughs> I'm the only Asian here sometimes. Um, sometimes in in groups at lunch or even in small groups, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm the only person of color right now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that to myself sometimes, but I don't really let it, I don't really, I try not to let it get to me or anything, you know? Do and you, I, do, like, do you feel um, stuff that you would consider like bigotry, like, or is it, I mean, do, do people like treat you like, you're like, I think they're treating me like that because I'm Asian. Because um, my, all my Asian bigotries are, mm-hmm you're probably more competent than the average person yeah, or smarter. Yeah. And that's a weird, weird, I don't, I don't know, bigotry or stereotype to deal with because it's like yeah. people treat you better or expect more of you. And yeah, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> Like it's better than being thought of as dumb or as incompetent or whatever. So it's, it, that's a weird one to deal with, but yeah, it's gotta be sure. weird. It's gotta be weird to be Asian because it's like, you're a person of color with privilege mm-hmm. in a way, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of weird because it's a stereotype that yeah. may, re- like it's got, that's gotta be weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's like, there is some, sometimes there is like knowing that I can get away with things cause I'm Asian or, you know, um, yeah, sometimes there is that, but okay. we can explore that more another time. We'll yeah. have more multi-ethnicity <laughs> podcasts, but we're talking yes. about your story right now. Okay. So you went to church mm-hmm. It wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had somebody who brought you and that really made it a lot better. That's mm-hmm. a key point, right? Yes. Yeah. Sit with the person you bring to church, go mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. Give them bring a Bring them to church. Like, yeah. Drop them off after. He talked to you about the experience when he took you home. Um, I'm sorry. What? Did Jeff like be like, so how was that for you? Did you? Yeah. Did we would talk like about it? the sermon and stuff and like, um, yeah, I don't remember exactly that first time if we talked about stuff cause I think okay. we just went to lunch or something, but, okay. um, but yeah. Sweet. Okay. What else? The so post that first um, service, I think the overall theme of these next few months was like a darkness to light. So I realized that exposure to the gospel put me in a really confused place. I started thinking about my past and my mindset and heart behind everything. Um, and it's funny because I don't think I remembered this until I started preparing for this and looked back at my journal and I saw an entry from the end of December and I read it and I was like, Oh, maybe I was more confused than, than I thought I was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, and, um, I think generally with the way I grew up, because I mean, because I'm Asian and you're raised with certain values and, Mm -hmm. and, um, so my actions and my philosophies all kind of appeared to align with like what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Um, 
but I had doubt in that my heart was in it. Like a lot of it was rooted in being a good person or doing good for others. So like, um, like I mentioned in college, I, I was actually the co-service director. So I, for an organization. So I organized a lot of volunteer service and I think my motivations, I realized looking back on it, like maybe my motivations revolved more around either a, it's cool to get into communities and meet new people and have new experiences, which is ultimately when you look at it, self-benefit. Or, or it was, I'm helping do something inherently good. And then it stops there, right? Like you don't, I didn't have any deeper thought into what good was or what what means, what's inherently good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or I didn't have a definition for that uh, is what I realized. And so at that first service, there there was a table that was shown on the screen and there were like three columns and they were categories of like things that you can... Um, like categories of focus or something like that. And then there was the mind of Christ. So how the mind of Christ relates to those categories. And those categories were like for family or for friends or for for Christ. And then there was the third column was the non-regenerate mind. Mm -hmm. And I was reading those and I was like, huh. And it was pretty shocking to think that I was the non-regenerate mind. (laughs) And I think that the reactions you could have to this are either this must be wrong. Like he's crazy. Like that's not my truth, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to come back to this. Like he's lying to me or he's trying to brainwash me or something. Actually, I've, I've had people think that I'm brainwashed right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, or you can people have, have no yeah. idea mm-hmm. what brainwashing actually is. Yeah. <laughs> they just, if somebody's persuaded of something you disagree with and they don't want to change their mind back, they just say that phrase. Mm-hmm. But brainwashing is like a very technical, completely different thing. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the other reaction reaction you can have to that, which is the one that I had, was just curiosity. Like, is this something I should believe? Am I the non-regenerate mind? What's the mind of Christ? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. how do I achieve that? And so, um, so I guess uh, reflecting on that later in the month, my journal entry, um, I'll just read it. Yeah, go Um, ahead. That'd be great. So I wrote, I think I've been thinking more or reflecting more on my actions and seeing how much I regret them for one reason or another. And it makes me curious if humans are naturally sinful or if we are driven to more sinful acts. And if that is why we need faith to bring us to a better state of being and morality. Like at first I think, or I used to think, why do we need to believe in God and follow the Bible to be good people? Why can't humans be strong enough to have our own moral code? It makes me feel a little helpless if it just turns out we weren't meant to be good people on our own. But perhaps there is a light. Hope that Having faith means we can save ourselves. What does the Bible say about who we are before faith and why should I believe it? And I think looking back at the sermon from that first service, um, this entry is partially addressed by John 3, 18 to 21. So that says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, who are, sorry, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But forever, or, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So basically, that answered the before without faith, we are in darkness doing evil works. And I was starting to examine like myself and realizing how idolatrous I was being. That was something I think you brought up in the sermon was 
if you're not idolizing God, you're idolizing something else. And I was like, what am I idolizing? <laughs> and mm. I was like, I don't want to be an idolater. Um, yeah. That sounds primitive and unsophisticated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be that. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 And, and when you came to church, you were hearing like 50 minute sermons. Mm -hmm. So hopefully there was plenty to think about. Mm -hmm. But like you can look back at the journal entry and be like, okay, that's not, that's not all perfect thinking. Mm -hmm. But you could see that like you're starting to grapple with ideas of sin. Yeah. Why people sin. Mm -hmm. How does one get free of such a thing? Mm -hmm. How does, in what ways are humans capable of strength and competence? And in what ways are we utterly helpless? Mm -hmm. And that's just a deeper level of thinking about our humanity and therefore the God and spirituality that modern secular sort of like we're just biological machines bouncing off each other highly controlled by our environments and that's all that's happening mm -hmm. and we're having hopefully many pleasurable neurological experiences <laughs> and I'm, i mean i imagine that that was kind of the air your degree breathed the, i mean biotechnical engineering has a lot to do with like how biology is everything mm -hmm. and how we can then structure biology and restructure it for helpful benefits and changes in the world, which is really good. Yeah. You know, but it's very easy for that to be your field. And then there's a big, there's field bigotry where you're like, everything is my field. Mm -hmm. You know, journalists think everything's about journalism. Pastors thinks, think everything's about church. Mm -hmm. You know, it can, it can happen. Yeah. So, but yeah, like it's clear, like in those journal entries, like, but, I think one of the things that's important to think about is, especially when you grow up within a more progressive and liberal mind, grappling with the idea of sin and how sin is situated in humanity and what that means and how it's actually remedied is like a whole realm of thinking that is entirely blocked out of mental maturity. And it feels very staggering to grapple with it because you're like, if this is all important, I have thought past something incredibly important my whole life and the whole people I'm a part of has, and this would be catastrophic, you know? Yeah. And it's crazy to think that I lived so long and didn't talk about any of that or didn't realize any of that. And yeah, so it was and really you lived cool. in the presence of so much wickedness. Right. And you're like, oh, it's just, it's whatever. It's just people do stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Which got you to, we talked about this yesterday to the point of like, somebody asking you okay well how do you define good what do you mean by mm -hmm. inherently good mm -hmm. what is goodness mm -hmm. and you were like i'm not totally sure about that yeah yeah and then you said later on you like asked a friend mm -hmm. how that person defined goodness and they were resistive yeah to going entering to that conversation yeah which was just really interesting yeah <laughs> um because people have insinuated that you're brainwashed mm -hmm. and then you try to have a conversation with them mm -hmm. and there are whole realms of subjects that they won't even talk about yeah and you're like wait a second what does it mean to be a good person and they're like that's not going to lead anywhere positive i don't want to talk about that right now and i'm like okay <laughs> and you're like wait who's in the cult here <laughs> Right? Like, you can't talk about what goodness is. Right. <laughs> like, and I'm brainwashed and I'm in a cult. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, I run up against it. And I, I see people who come to faith 
for the first time from fairly liberal backgrounds, usually in conservative backgrounds, there's a certain amount of respect for religion, even if people aren't religious Mm -hmm. or even if they're only nominally religious, they just, they're like, yeah, religion's a thing. It's fine. What? Oh, you're more religious. That's great. That's probably good for you. When you're in the liberal and progressive realm, being irreligious is part of what makes you sophisticated and good and part of the real world and leading us into a good future. And so it seems like a horrific regression. So why would a sophisticated person fall into such a regression? Something must have happened to you. You must have gotten captured somehow, right? Hence cult brainwash, like different words for categories of you being captured, Mm -hmm. right? But then once you get into it, you're like, wait, my mind was so captured before. Mm -hmm. There were all these things I couldn't think about. There's this great essay by Jay Bujashevsky from, I think he teaches at University of Texas. He was a philosopher. He's a political philosopher. And he's, he talks about when he was an atheist. And he said, you know, when I was writing my doctoral dissertation, I was basically saying there's no true morality and morality is like what subjective values we assign to things. He said, what I realized was as I was going into my mind and I was tearing out whole circuit boards and I thought because there was less and less I could think about, I was becoming more and more brave and more and more focused And he said, and then I realized in the end, I was the fool Mm -hmm. that I was only thinking about a fraction of real human nature and therefore could only see a fraction of reality. And that it, and then, so he talks about how he then ended up becoming Catholic (laughs) and he's like, yeah, then I just, I realized that I, and so, but people were like, oh, you, you know, poor Jay, Mm -hmm. you know, he was really onto something and now he's lost. Mm. And, um, Anyway, yeah, I, I like I, I, a lot of new Christians who come from academic and liberal backgrounds, that's what they face. Mm-hmm. They want to have conversations about stuff and they just get shut down and they get told that they're the ones that don't want to think. Mm-hmm. But I think that they find that freeing after a while. Like if you can see sort of like the hypocrisy in that, you're like, wait a second. No, I did the right thing. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard not to be judgmental about that too. Right. Like yes. you have to, I still have to love, I choose to love all of my friends still at home. Right. Even though I look back or in my family and I look back and I'm like, man, why can't you just think another way? <laughs> like, <laughs> or like, why can't you see how I'm thinking? And maybe I'm not doing a great job of explaining it, but it is hard to not be judgmental in those situations. Yeah. You know, and because they already feel a little defensive because mm-hmm. yeah. they think yours there's something wrong with you, mm-hmm. you know? It is really hard. I had a really tough time with my in-laws for years because mm-hmm. I just wanted them to change their minds and we could all be one big happy family, you yeah. know, and they can be like, my brother and sister in Christ. Like, and they're like, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. So you, yeah. Did so that. you mm-hmm. wanted, okay. On a more personal level, I, because of my academic background and stuff, I very much had a desire to know everything before I committed to Christianity. Uh And I was like, I'm going to read the whole Bible and then I'm going to decide whether or not I'm Christian. (laughs) And that was quickly shut down because I started reading the Gospels and I was like, this is a long book. (laughs) Um, But even though that was shut down, I developed an emotional attachment to reading the Bible. Um, I would want to go home and just like curl up and read and have my sticky notes and like write notes and stuff. Um, Cause I really have a love for like analyzing and, um, and learning new things. Um, so especially like in services where, or in um, commentaries and stuff where like random, like a random little tidbit, like related to history or why this word appears five times. Like, I'm just mm-hmm. like, Oh, I love that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, eventually I accepted that I didn't need to know everything and that I wouldn't know everything. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of times right now where I'm just like, where people ask questions and I'm like, I just don't think that we're meant to know that. Like God, God didn't make it that way. And only he knows and we'll be left in the dark, but, but it's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I don't need to know everything. And I just really wanted to move forward and make the commitment to Christ. Christ. Yeah. You so. need to know enough to make a decision. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, because you, like you're engaged. Mm-hmm. You don't know everything there is to know about your fiance. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff you literally can't know. Like, what kind of man will he be in 10 years? Mm-hmm. He doesn't know that. You don't know that. Nobody knows that. So, do you not marry him now? Because you need to find out what he's going to be like in 10 years before you marry. Like, there's a lot of those kinds of decisions. And a lot of people want to be like, well, I need to know the answer. And you're right. Like, there's some questions there literally aren't answers. And there's other questions where, why would an omniscient God have to tell us everything? Mm-hmm. There's places in the Bible that literally say he doesn't. God mm-hmm. says, I'm not going to tell you everything. And so if you're like, no, he has to tell us this, then you're literally saying he's doing it wrong, mm-hmm. which is a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah. a lot of stuff he tells us. It's not like he, it'd be one thing if the, there was like the Bible is two pages and God was like, believe in me. That's all there is. But there, it's not like that. He's told us and shown us so much that if you want to ask those questions, there's plenty of answers to all kinds of questions. Right. And then you've got to decide on the basis of that whether or not you're going to believe. Mm-hmm. But there are other things, like I think there's a section, in John, I think it's in John 7 where Jesus says, if you want to know if what I say is from God, do it. And then you'll know. Like he, he literally says, there is some affirmation or realization that comes from participation. And on one level, that's not going to get you in if you're a seeker because you're like, well, wait, I need some questions answered first. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. But you're not going to get all the knowledge you want. There is some knowledge you can only get like you're, there's some knowledge about marriage you're only going to get after you're married. Yeah. But you can know enough to know if you want to be married before mm-hmm. that, but you're going to keep learning once you get married. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think faith is like that. And sometimes people get hung up on getting answers to questions. What's it going to be like when I've been married two years? That's the wrong question. You'll know that after you've been married two years, you have to do that to know. But knowing is this person morally reliable? Well, that's a question you need to get sorted out before you get married, right? Mm-hmm. And similarly in faith, there are questions about truth and clarity that you need you should ask before you become a believer. Mm-hmm. And then there's other stuff you just could never know until you're in. Yeah. I've had friends ask me, why aren't you living together? Or yeah. <laughs> why not live together first? Wait, so you're not sleeping together? Like, And I'm just like, no. <laughs> and that's natural to me now. But yeah. you know, definitely when I first moved here, that was not how I thought as well. So that's the part of grace where I'm just like, okay, right. like I didn't think that way either. And this is, this is why I'm not living together with, with Kyla, with my fiance. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. You know, I found in, I just did a wedding for a couple that she came to faith that way. Mm-hmm. It started with what should we do sexually? And the guy kind of got reignited in his faith and he's like, we shouldn't sleep together. And she's like, What? <laughs> are you crazy? Mm-hmm. And then she's like, okay, I need to understand this. So then that's when she came to like the sexuality conference and talked with Lexi and I, mm-hmm. and she's like, and so we explained like the whole of the Christian ethic and why we don't believe in the sexual revolution. We believe it incredibly harms people. And then she's all of a sudden she was like, wait a second. I have been harmed in all those ways. I'm way more hurt than I ever thought I was. And that's why. And I was like, mm-hmm. and she was like, Oh man. And that opened up more questions and more questions and more questions and ultimately led her to Christ and led her to celibacy. 
and which led them to get married, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that, yeah. yeah, that just seems, even from like a outsider's perspective, like that seems so much more beautiful than, oh yeah, we've been sleeping together and living together for years and now we're getting married. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. To well, me, I think it seems, a lot of it is yeah. in how it's framed. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're like, you know, why, if you have the like, well, why can't I morality? Mm-hmm. Then it seems perfectly reasonable. Well, why can't I? Well, I can't. Well, I don't know. Right. But if you start with things like, well, why should a man have sex with a woman whose well-being he's not committed to? Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? That's ultimately going to drive you to selfishness, I think, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, and just as a pastor, Mm -hmm. there, there are only two major motivations that lead men to marry for the most part, other than just honorability. One is the competition of other men that other men could get in there and steal your woman away. Right. And two, they want to have sex. Those are the two. Cause most men don't feel that they want to have children. <laughs> they don't go. Yeah. I so want a human who's dependent and <laughs> takes my wife's attention away from me, basically eliminates her sexual feelings. And like, the stuff men want out of marriage isn't as directly related to that as as women often are. Women often have a maternal instinct and would like to have children, right? Mm-hmm. And so men just are kind of like, okay, she's living in the house with me. She naturally as a woman just does all this stuff for me. And then like we have sex a lot. We don't have a child. She's on her best behavior because we could always break up. And I can do what I want. Our money is kind of tied together but not tied. Like, there's, like for most men it's kind of like, this is great. In Christian romance, if you don't believe you're allowed to lock somebody down who you're not engaged to, then you could still lose her until you marry her, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell guys that. I was like, listen, I don't care if people call it dating. Women are either engaged or married or free, available, right? And guys are like, oh, that's that's weird. I was like, well, that's why you got to get at it, right? Get to know her and decide what you want to do and then do it, mm-hmm. right? And then the second is you don't have sex. Like you, you get a man who's young, who wants to have sex. And you're like, look, you don't get to do it until you decide because you only get to have to have sex with women who you've committed yourself to her, to her holistic well-being. Turns out that's when women most like to have sex is with men wholly committed to their universal well-being. <laughs> Turns right? out. Turns out. Yeah, who would have thought, right? And then, um, and that's what's supposed to happen. And so if a man is being celibate, that really drives questions like, well, should I make this decision? And I better, I better get to know her more. Listen, guys who don't get to have sex, they call you the next day after the date because they're ready to move on. They're trying to figure out the next thing. Guys that don't, they'll live with you for 10 years and then not marry you. Mm-hmm. And women are like, how could this happen? Well, he was after something different than you were after, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, but I think... I do actually think that the sexual ethic, apart from um, Christian views about uh, LGBT and TNG stuff, I think that's still a huge wedge with our liberal neighbors about how to explain that in a way to demonstrate that the biblical view is loving. I think the way heterosexual people treat each other sexually and the carnage created by the sexual revolution, sexual ethic, and how much that hurts people, I think that's actually fairly compelling. I've, I've talked to a lot of liberal people and I'm like, this is what actually happens. Like, I get that you feel that it should be that way, ideologically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But here's what happens when people do it. And they're like, huh, that is what happens. I mean, that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially women. Yeah. 
But I think men too, like the, all the surveys are that, that men's men who have more partners are actually their sexual satisfaction is lower. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so yeah, that's, that's, that must've made you seem odd to some of your friends that you were like, yeah, we're celibate until we get married. Yep. <laughs> and then it'll be our duty to make love to each other. Mm-hmm. And they're like, that's very odd. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, yeah. And that's something I learned after coming to Christ is just something that God did in those months after deciding to commit um, was just putting the right people and resources in my path. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot of this stuff through um, the women's version of Forgiven and Free. Um, yeah. There was the Sexuality Everywhere conference, yep. the Escaping Babel podcast. That was <laughs> that changed my life because I listened to it and... Um, and I was yeah, talking it was like about radioed it. in from Mars. It yeah. must have felt like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I listened to it. And then I was with some friends and I was talking, we were talking about it because it was, it was kind of the, the thing in our friend groups or in my friend group um, was just like, did you listen to the Escaping Babel co- podcast? And I was just like, oh no, I should listen. And so then I started listening and I was just like, man, this is, this is true. And this is so different than what I would have thought. Mm-hmm. And um, that is how, uh, Kyla started listening to it and that's why he is a listener of the podcast now that uh, was like a crazy spike in podcast listeners yes. I think um and, yeah, yeah there's there is some belief that that's mm-hmm. all the podcast should be <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's funny how people are so interested in it but yeah I mean it is a very well, compelling it's subject. the it feels like okay I was going to give an example but a lot of our listeners would not have liked it's a very crass example <laughs> okay. but yeah it's kind of like a knowledge that has been kept from you that yeah. you're like, how could we not know this? And then once you hear it, it immediately commends itself. You're like, wait a second. I don't believe in God. I believe just in like biology and that what's natural. But actually when you explain that, that is natural. That is the natural reality of how we interact with each other and what really happens. Hence why we need certain rules about mm-hmm. how we relate to each other which is why you would have these things like doctrines. Oh, that makes total sense. <laughs> Instead of like, nobody can tell you what to do. You're a free biological creature and you're going to die in the heat death of the universe, right? Or in the extinction, you know, extinction mm-hmm. of your own and that's biological so grim. entity. And so do whatever you want, get whatever you can. Don't be too mean to other people and don't force them to do anything. And then if you pay attention, have eyes to see it, it just creates horrific carnage. And a big part, and one of the, that's one of the reasons why Christians sometimes get in a contrary relationship with feminism is because feminism does a lot for women in terms of who they are and what they can be and the relationship to men that is positive. But one of the things it does in relationship to the sexual revolution is it trains women not to feel the pain mm as legitimate that's being caused by the actions of men in sexuality of men who aren't committed to them. And part of that is feminism's rejection of the centrality of fertility to the female experience. Mm -hmm. If you are not connected to the fact that you are a woman and a huge part of women is that you can create new humans and that fertility is a big part of your existence and a big part of your vulnerability, then you won't demand that a man who wishes to take advantage of your fertility which is one of the reasons why he's so biologically attracted to you take responsibility for being part of your fertility, i.e. marry you because you could have in like extremely dependent long-term maturing offspring for which you will need his aid because you will be made vulnerable by these offspring. Right. And if you don't get that, you get what, what are you going to get? But women who are hurt and in an, an incredible rate of single motherhood 
Mm-hmm. We just don't want to. We just don't want to admit that men want women to have their children and raise them for us without our help, and that there's something inside us that wants that. And unless you're made noble by the Spirit, combating that flesh and saying no. You're not meant to do that. You're not meant to be like a pirate and a pillager. You're meant to be a provider and a protector. And that is what you're for. Men won't. It's part of our brokenness and sin. Like we reject our role. And I think, I think women reject their role differently. But Mm -hmm. anyway, so I think a lot of people when they hear that, it's like something they knew that that like somebody stole their memories or something. And they realize that these are their memories. And Mm -hmm. they're like, wait. I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. This is what it is to be. It's, it feels very freeing. I think, mm-hmm. sorry, you're listening to me monologue during your testimony. No, it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, but I actually think that that awakening in terms of sexual ethics within Christianity, yeah. even if you are, haven't sorted out the LGBT TNG stuff, cause that stuff is admittedly very complicated. Mm-hmm. This, the sexuality stuff with heterosexual stuff that can just feel so obvious, mm-hmm. you know? All right, so we still haven't gotten to the point where you come to Jesus. Oh, yeah. Are oh, we almost, are we're you, almost there, right? I think, um, yeah. I kind of glossed over it, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> like I went straight into the to the um, forgiven and free sexuality everywhere, skimming Bible stuff. But, so yeah, so like what, yeah, what, when did you actually April either 13th, realize you believed or actively believed? April 13th, 2018. Okay. Um, so the setting the scene i was i was on the beach in san diego i was on a work trip <laughs> i was reading i was reading reason for god by tim keller um i wasn't i wasn't fully done with the book but um i had uh scheduled time with femi to just like talk on the phone about some questions that i had um and we didn't end up talking about any of those questions but he was just asking like how are you doing and stuff and and then um somehow we got to the question of or somehow at some point he asked me like so with all the stuff you're saying right now, it sounds like you, you know, you believe. And do you see Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And then up to that point, I had been thinking in my mind, I had been trying to do, I was, I had been trying to pray. I had been thinking in my mind, like, can I just believe this? Because honestly, I pretty much agree with with everything. The biggest thing to overcome, I think for me was could Jesus have died and been resurrected? <laughs> like, cause that just seems crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the implications of that are astounding. And, um, and so it's those kind of miracles that I had to, I was just like, man, I, I don't think I'd ever believe this before, but I think if I believe everything else, I have to believe this. <laughs> um, so, so in my mind I was thinking, okay, Jesus, Jesus is my Lord. And, and so then when he asked me this, I was like, I hesitated for a second, but I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and he was just like, then you're a Christian. And I was just like, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and yeah, that was a really special moment, I think, because Femi had been taking me through that journey for so long and um, for months. Um, and yeah, to come to that was, it was like a, like a big burden had been just off my shoulders, you know, like, although to be fair, I didn't share it with anybody for about a week. (laughs) I was still a little scared because I had, because all my friends that I had made here knew that I wasn't Christian and it was scary to, to, for me to be like, okay, I'm, Hey guys, I'm I'm Christian now. (laughs) You knew Um, they'd be excited. I'm sure. Sorry. Yeah. You knew that they'd be excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I was afraid of, you want to make sure it was for real because then you mm -hmm. don't want to be like, Oh wait, no, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. And I was afraid of, I think, 
maybe answering the question of like, so why do you believe now? And I think I was like feeling unprepared for that. I think that's part of my like wanting to know everything first Mm -hmm. is just like that fear of making sure I can defend myself. But God's put me in so many situations where, you know, where that, where he challenged that and made me rely on him. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, You have to get used to saying, I'm not totally sure. Yeah. I just find this overall more persuasive than the alternative. Mm-hmm. And so I believe it. Yeah. You know, did, is there a point? Cause okay. So there's some people listening to this that are good Baptists and they're going to say, well, that's actually not how you get saved or become a Christian. Like you have to actually confess and believe. Was there any point where you were kind of like, okay, God, I was wrong. I, I have been wayward. Like I didn't know you and I want, I know you now and I accept you. I would say that was a slower progression for me. Um, like it happened throughout the course of those months Mm -hmm. was just through like, especially through prayer. I think once I started praying. So you were praying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, it was super awkward at first, but I was trying, (laughs) um, because I felt like I was like talking to the wall. (laughs) Is there any, was there any moment where you, and this is kind of mystical, but like where you kind of felt like something changed? Yeah. There were moments when I was praying or sometimes when I was praying, I just felt like something was around or like I was in something or like something was around me or like, like, like I wasn't in my body or something. It was, yeah, there have been moments like that. There's a strong presence that you Mm -hmm. couldn't put your finger on. Yeah. Like my brain is up here and like, (laughs) it's just like, yeah, like a presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It just kind of like envelopes you and envelops you envelops you (laughs) and it's like a big hug from everywhere did you feel like there was a point where you felt like something inside you changed did you ever feel something like that like what christians would call regeneration not i'm not saying that you're supposed to feel regeneration but sometimes people feel it like they feel like the heart of stone is gone and the heart of flesh has come and like god has made me alive i don't know if i've had that yeah yeah not everybody feels it Mm -hmm. that's okay so this is a great point place to make a certain kind of point because uh high point is a non-denominational church but it was historically planted by fundamentalist baptists which would focus very strongly on you preach sin and the gospel and then people in that moment feel conviction they repent and believe and they do so by confessing their sins and verbally putting their faith in christ and they'll quote for example like romans 10 if you confess to the mouth of jesus is lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, mm-hmm. right? And that's absolutely 100% true, right? And But yet in a sort of like post-Christian culture where people are very predisposed against Christian faith, there tends to be this longer process of them like reworking everything in their mind and heart. Mm-hmm. And so their coming to Christ is much slower because they're like, okay, wait, what about gay people? And like, what about abortion and women's rights? And like, what about, so what does that mean for politics? And like, what does that mean for society? And how about my life? And wait, I'll be rejected by all these people. And wait, is this true? And how does this matter? And like, wait, but these people are not as weird as I thought. And it's a very complex wound up thing. And so it tends to be this like, thing where you're going along and at some point you realize you're like wait i believe that yeah wait i believe that wait i think now i believe i think now i believe all of it mm-hmm. and so um nikki gumbel used to say in the alpha course it doesn't matter if it was an immediate moment or if it was a longer thing what is important is do you know that you believe now do you know that a you repent of your sins that like your sins were wrong you should not have done them and you've turned away from them and changed your mind mm-hmm. right and i think that like 
from talking with you, that's true about you. And then second, have you put your full trust in Jesus as your Lord? And are you willing to confess that? And I, that's true about you, right? And so, and also one of the things I think is, and this is ironic because sometimes Baptists get this wrong. In the Bible, the thing that marks out the person as they have repented of their sins and they have put their faith in Jesus Christ is, it's ironic the Baptists get it wrong. Baptism. Baptism. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, because it can be weird, like, how, how slow or fast you make that commitment. But everybody's called by Jesus to get baptized. Mm. And that baptism, right? Because didn't I baptize you? Yep. Yeah. Mm. So, like, didn't I say when you got in the water, Ashlyn, have you repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior? And you were like, yes, I did. Yep. And then I baptized you, right? Mm-hmm. And so... um one of the reasons why baptism I think is increasingly important in the modern culture is because people can come to Christ sometimes over a long, strange, protracted journey. And so you ask them, did you, well, did you believe? And you're like, well, I don't know exactly when I started believing. I just experienced that I did believe. And you're like, okay, great. Jesus wants you to get baptized. (laughs) (laughs) Like there is this ritual that marks it out where you Mm -hmm. choose and you, you choose a moment and that's when your identity changes formally sort of publicly. Yep. And some Christians believe literally, spiritually, that's the moment when it changes. Orthodox and Catholics absolutely believe that. And so um, that's one of the reasons why at High Point we try to emphasize this biblical doctrine of baptism because a lot of people hopefully will come to Christ like you and you'll be like, I don't know what I believed, but you know when you were baptized. Mm -hmm. You know when you publicly repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ and took on Jesus' name Mm -hmm. in baptism. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So if you're listening and you've kind of been through this process, but you haven't actually submitted to Jesus commanding you to get baptized. We're doing that soon, right? July 14th. July 14th. Yeah. Outdoor baptisms. Okay. So we're getting on a while, probably because I've spoken for half the time. So what's happened since that? Um, I think um, a lot. (laughs) So, I've been really grateful for the mentors that I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, so like in Forgiven and Free was how I met Aaron Hesse, who's on staff here. Right. Um, and I also started through Femi. I started meeting up with Lisa Dolliger, um, who used to be on staff here as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know that it was. Yeah. I Basically, it was a really good space to ask more and talk about spiritual things and also get insights from young mothers because when I grew up I thought I had to be a full-time if I was going to be a mother that I had to work full-time and I think something that challenged me here was like what does it mean to be a mother why do all these mothers either work part-time or not not at all (laughs) like I was just like is this is this a traditional like I was like is this just a traditional repressive female thing or like right these women must all be oppressed and Mm -hmm. brainwashed yeah (laughs) and like like dominated by their husbands or whatever right Right. and that was you meet aaron's husband he's like the mildest man you've ever met in your life (laughs) yeah yeah um but yeah and you know meeting meeting them talking to them um overcoming a lot of stuff and realizing that they went through similar things Mm -hmm. or um, they have similar problems with like family and friends and like yeah. I was just like I'm not it, it makes me feel like I'm not alone in this and it also felt made me feel like more equipped to deal with things and it made me excited or it still makes me excited to be older and be a mentor to younger women which yeah. I think is really fun <laughs> yeah because um, in our culture you're terrified to not be 20 yeah 
Cause like, then you'll just be lost. Yeah. And I know? was like, I wish I had this in college, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And also I feel like outside of like, or at least the way I grew up, mentorship was not a thing. Like I did not talk to older women. I did mm-hmm. not learn from older women. I didn't go over to their houses in the morning and, and eat breakfast with them or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah. We've worked really hard at High Point, especially, like you know, my wife, Alexi, mm-hmm. like that's her only ministry at High Point. Mm-hmm. She has four children at home. She does not need most of the headaches we give her. And basically her whole ministry has been helping me get out the word of about mentoring as a lifestyle. And then secondly, preparing and matching women, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny because she's Jewish of background mm-hmm. and she's matchmaking Right. So she's like a Yenta. Right? It's kind of fun. We joke about it, but she's actually, she's very intuitive and discerning about what women will be able to help what women. Mm-hmm. And she makes, usually makes great matches. But a lot of it is just now that there's a culture of it at high point, mm-hmm. a lot of women just start meeting with each other mm-hmm. and they just match themselves. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but it's interesting because like to meet with Aaron and Lisa for those two women, Lisa, I think is, f- is mostly full-time stay at home. She's going to be now that she's going to yeah. have her second child. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron works like 30, 30 hours, hours a week. Here, yeah. mm-hmm. And yet, she has flexibility in her job. I was just talking with Nicole yesterday. She would let me, she wouldn't mind me telling you this and everyone else. But she was like, it was hard for me to realize I'm never going to make as much money as my husband or yeah. the men in my life who spend all their time. They work so hard to move ahead, mm-hmm. to work that extra 12% so you can make the extra 40% that mm-hmm. the extra 12% gets you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I just had to accept that my husband loved me. He was never going to leave me. We together were one unit. And I loved my son and I wanted to be with him in the most important moments of his life. And I didn't have to be stressed out. And that this was part of the calling I was receiving and I didn't need to be conflicted about it. And she's like, it was extremely freeing for me. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking in my head. Like that is so freeing and not something I would have ever considered growing up. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And like you and women at high point do lots of different things. Some of them work full time too, mm-hmm. but like a lot of women have just said in this culture, the culture isn't really helping us form our kids the way we wanted them to be formed. Mm. If the culture was totally Christian and every influence was very similar, then mm. women working full time and like working lots of hours might not be an issue because every way place where you placed your kid, they'd be getting the kind of emphasis you wanted. But one of the things we're also realizing more and more now is how biologically tied kids are to their biological parents that like, especially kids under two have a deep need to be with their mom. Mm-hmm. And like, there's just no way to daycare that out of them. And it, it just isn't a thing you can do. Mm-hmm. There's no biological engineering for that, you <laughs> yeah. know? And so some women have been like, so that means I just have to be there or be there more than I would have otherwise been, mm-hmm. you know? And I know that that's a, that feels like such a huge cost. I've had women in my office just sobbing. Like I, I intentionally made these decisions. They still hurt Mm -hmm. because I see you get promoted and I don't get promoted because I'm working part-time and you're working full-time and I, this is the right choice. I know this is right, but it still hurts and Mm -hmm. people still look down on me. Yes. Yeah. I talked about that with Lisa a little bit and she shared like, people don't realize how hard of a job I have to condense um, these theological topics for a (laughs) (laughs) three-year-old and like teach a three-year-old these things. And, you know, there is a sense of like judgment and like judgment for, because people don't understand that. And that's so hard. And, you know, I helped out with uh, early childhood ministry before I came onto this job and like, yeah. you know, trying to teach a kid forgiveness, 
Right. Um, I, yeah. Interesting story about that was just these two kids. One of them, like, hit, I don't know, like hit the other one or physically hurt them somehow. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, can you say sorry to him? And then he said sorry. And then I said to the person that was or to the to the kid that was hurt, can you forgive that? Can you for, can you say I forgive you? And he was like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can do that. And I was just like. Where do I go from here? And you're like, <laughs> like <laughs> now, theologically, that's the unpardonable sin. You're moving in the direction of damnation right now. You know? Yeah. You got to find another way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Elisa's another good example of like, Elisa's a very emotional, passionate woman. And like, one of the things people don't recognize is just how much humanity women who aren't strapped into jobs create in their home in their relational structures and what they do for each other and the networks that they create. And when you stick women in jobs 50 hours a week and men also are working jobs 50 hours a week, there is so much human and social capital between human beings and how they relate to each other and all the richness and wealth and enjoyment and love created by that, that just gets, it just wilts and you're making more money and you have so much less richness in your life and people forget in some ways it is the femininity of women and how they interconnect with each other and interconnect their children and families and structures and churches that you kill when you take away all their time and the, the richness that they naturally just make enjoying relationships with each other and nurturing stuff goes away and Everyone is impoverished by that. The wife is impoverished. The children are impoverished. The husband is impoverished. The society is impoverished. It's terrible. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the moral inculcation that kids get that forms their conscience for the rest of their life, they get before the age of five. And it's basically done by the age of seven in terms of the moral imperatives they will feel in their hearts the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And they don't teach that at daycare very well. Not as deep as it comes in like bedtime and morning time and over breakfast devotions and right. And it just can't be done. You, you can't get someone else to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's an awakening to that, but you st- modern Christian women still struggle with their moms saying, I thought you were going to be something yeah. when you grew up. And I, I, it's so dangerous to be dependent on a man for income and especially coming from an Asian household. (laughs) Um, There's definitely expectations of career and schooling and, you know, like I thought you were going to be better than this or whatever, especially because I was, so I'm the older child and I have a younger sister and that's just us two, but I was definitely raised as the smarter child and there were so many expectations on me and stuff. And now for instance, I'm working at a church yeah. <laughs> and I don't think my parents want to acknowledge it <laughs> Yeah, has, has been the story. But, um, but yeah. And like having those expectations, it's gotta be hard yeah. for them at mm-hmm. like a cocktail party. Mm-hmm. Well, Ashlyn, she, didn't she go to Maryland for biotech engineering? Bio, yeah. mm-hmm. What's she doing now? Um, she's probably going to get back into biotechnical engineering real soon. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's making slides at a church. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. gosh. Yeah. At least your little sister has a chance now to be the good child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I think that I'm giving her that opportunity. Really, <laughs> she's studying fire protection engineering, and she she's actually in Madison this summer, and oh. she's working on the east side, cool. and she's she's liking it, and I think she really likes her field and wants to continue in it and stuff. So I am very happy about that. Cool. Um, 
yeah so yeah. i'm giving her that opportunity let's say that <laughs> so let's um we probably should bring this near to a close yeah. people like long form mm-hmm. podcasts but there is a limit mm-hmm. um so like what are some of the things that like you feel like your story has embodied mm-hmm. and that could be an object lesson for people the biggest thing is just how god uses people so god put so many different people in my in my path and i think people forget that like we're all called to be light no matter where we are playing some, mm-hmm. doing something small like playing volleyball even is a place where you can have impact um mm-hmm. and unless you like get out into the community and really do those things like i don't understand how you're going to <laughs> to be that light for people yeah um yeah because it's really easy i think once you become christian to surround yourself with christians yes um and to not because you just maybe because you just don't agree with non-christians or yeah yeah but um it can be hard especially yeah. in a city like madison where mm-hmm. the level of interpolitical prejudice is at the hundred percent level mm-hmm. there's if you haven't seen it if you're listening the the atlantic did an article on interpolitical hatred and Madison was at the hundredth percentile. And so people associate mentally Christian faith with politics. And so the progressive folks get just really cagey super fast. And it's hard. It's just hard to talk and relate and feel and do, which is why sometimes things like volleyball where you're like doing a thing together can be nice mm-hmm. because you have something you can sort of agree on. Mm-hmm. You know, we like the Packers. We're playing volleyball. Something like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing, just that God really uses people, even if you don't realize it yourself. And to yeah. to keep that in mind and be aware of that and do what you can to, to be used by God. Yeah. And it was multiple people. And I think that that's mm-hmm. pretty normal for people who come from a real secular liberal background is that it takes multiple examples of a person who you don't hate. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that, that person, that, like, that's a good person. Like, this is a genuine I like that person. Mm-hmm. And you, you meet four or five of those and you're like, okay, so there's, I didn't just meet one. Yeah. I think it's important to recognize that that's one of the reasons why the local church is helpful because you're all working together, mm-hmm. but you've got to be focused on evangelism mm-hmm. yeah. and welcoming people. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd tell the church for like Sunday morning about like welcoming people or including people or anything like that? Um, I think it goes back to some of the stuff we've been talking about in our sermons about the the walls that, are brought up in Ephesians of, you know, we are creating these walls. We don't realize them. How can we break them down? Um, yeah. And I think that's going to be really hard, but really it's so important. And it's hard because people don't realize it and people don't want to acknowledge it because mm-hmm. again, it's a lot easier to live in darkness and to do mm-hmm. evil deeds um, than to come to the light. Um, but yeah, so like, Something that, um, I don't know, just encourage, like, if you see someone standing by themselves, go talk to them or, um, just like, especially for someone like me who was terrified when I first came, Mm -hmm. acknowledge that like, you don't know where everybody's coming from. So it doesn't hurt to go talk to someone, even if you're not socially adept and like, (laughs) and you don't feel confident, but, um, like the greeters are awesome. Um, and the welcome center is awesome. Like, don't be afraid of talking to people. And if it's your first time, don't be afraid when people come up to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just like if you go to High Point, just especially in that like golden nine minutes after the service ends, mm-hmm. 
talk for at least a couple minutes to a couple people you don't know. And mm-hmm. they, maybe they've been going to High Point for years and just start off with like, so how long have you been attending High Point? And maybe they'll be like, this is my first Sunday. And they'll be like, hey, that's cool. Let's go meet Nick in the Welcome Center or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it'll be like, well, two years, but still learn their name. Ask two questions about their life. Mm-hmm. How'd you come to High Point? How'd you come to Madison? Yeah. What do you do for a living? How'd you, right? How'd you come to G? Whatever you want, right? And um, and then go talk to your friends. Mm-hmm. But I would encourage every single person who comes to High Point, at least for the first four minutes, but better for the for the first 10. Talk to a couple people you don't know mm-hmm. and then talk to your friends. Yeah. If everybody at High Point did that, well, we might get a result you don't want. Our church would have like 500 more people <laughs> super fast. Yeah. Um, and some people may not want that. But the Lord probably wants that, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think that that I think that's really important, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're, you're well, your communication's not connections, but you feel that keenly. Mm-hmm. I'm aware. So I think it's also been neat to have like just increased multi ethnicity on our staff team. Yeah, right. To have Lloyd and Nicole and Manohar and now you and we were in a sermon planning meeting and I was the only all white person, which was kind of f- fun. And it wasn't it did, it wasn't hard mm-hmm. to work together. I don't think. Yeah, I no. felt like we were on the same page theologically, but we had some some different views about what to, did Nicole tell you about the rooted thing, the name for that, um, the women's thing that they're going to call rooted. Yeah, and they were going to call it roots. Yeah, and all the black people were like, "You can't call it roots." Oh, really? That's yeah, because okay. of like the Spike Lee thing from the eighties, or I don't remember when it came out, but mm-hmm. like on like the history of slavery that the, it was called roots mm-hmm. and like. Brit was like, yeah, you can't call it roots. And then she, Nicole called a black friend to like get a second opinion. And they were like, yeah, I don't think you can call it roots. And then Scott, her husband was like, you know, you're going to have to change it. And she's like, but roots sounds better. And he's like, it doesn't sound that much better. <laughs> and so she changed it to rooted and it was just it like came from like this increased amount of multi-ethnicity and just, mm-hmm. yeah, you get this, you get this kind of like a little, you get shaken around a little bit sometimes, mm-hmm. but hopefully in the end we'll look like a community yeah you know and hopefully that'll be cool and hopefully people will come to high point and it won't feel like wisconsin is so white it'll be like yeah wisconsin's pretty white but this place is pretty pretty it's like me enough i mean that's that's kind of cool so i know that you will bump into stuff serving in wisconsin and on the west side and in high point um and I, we are very glad that you're going to put up with that stuff. And like it says in Ephesians, bear with each other in love and still be honest about what you're bearing with so we can change it. Mm-hmm. But we're, I just want to reiterate on behalf of High Point and all the people who know you, you know this is true. We're just really glad you're serving serving here right now. Thanks. So thanks for, and thanks for sharing all this stuff. Yeah. All right, guys, we'll see you later. I hope you've enjoyed this and um, we'll see you next time. See ya. listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.